Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, January 13th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Doing well. Um, had a nice couple of days off. All I ever talk about is working days off when you ask that, but that is kind of life these days. Uh, so under life these days with curfew, no one really seeing each other, had some time off, working now. That's about it. You? found any any odrs in montreal yet there are some i just uh, don't have skates no ah well that's that's something i'm really pumped for this weekend i was gonna go out last weekend and they got really warm in london like three degrees celsius on sunday so everything kind of slushed up but but looking to be nice and chilly this weekend so i'm hoping to get out on on a rink wherever i can find it cheers cheers to that yeah it does seem to be the thing to do as uh restrictions tighten a lot of people seem to be thinking all right well we can still skate uh that along with sledding which i kind of fudged by also not bringing do you remember the ski board oh you still own that yeah that's risky business though my friend Oh, I took that out uh, with Eden, my little sister, and her friends while they were going drunk tobogganing to Rennie Park. Like oh my gosh, that's, hill. that's yeah, remember we did that when we were younger? It's yeah. terrifying. For those who don't know what we're talking about, essentially, if you took the top of a skateboard and then put a ski underneath it, that is the apparatus that Max is using in this situation. There's no hold on, you don't sit down, you're standing up, uh, and you can get some real speed on that thing. Yes, you can. Um, that major mess up not bringing that here to Montreal, but man, that thing, that was a good purchase. Also key to note, not like a snowboard where you can actually change direction. Yeah, no bindings, just a skateboard deck. Yeah, it's, it's just a straight shot down the hill just yeah you just pick up speed like regardless of what you and like as you go and go if the hill's big enough there's just a point where it's like oh my god i can't handle this much speed and it would always be at the bottom of the hill like when that transfer goes to a flat vector there's a slight there's a slight bump there at the bottom where you can go flying trying to keep your balance with that much speed is near impossible especially after <laughs> the fourth fifth one i can't quite remember uh but then this like six foot three 220 pound dude showed up and he took a look at that thing i was like oh buddy oh boy <laughs> and it had just been like me and one other person taking turns on it kind of bailing yeah last minute and then he stuck it first try wow like, killed it i was like pure athlete there yeah absolute (laughs) specimen snowboarding (laughs) and uh that got the competitive streak going in me so i like got two or three runs all the way down after that nice so uh, also named max max actually that guy okay thanks to him yeah cheers to that guy and uh cheers to the sports world as things picking up on our side um more stuff to cover today just across multiple sports we've uh, got the mighty return of combat corner for the first time here in 2022 looking forward to that uh, we'll also talk some basketball of course super wild card weekend uh, happening this weekend in the nfl 
for the first time ever. So looking for, or second time ever, pardon me, looking forward to that. Um, the Leafs, we'll just talk hockey right now. Three points in three games on the Western road trip so far. Tough one last night to Arizona, but they're hanging around the top of the, uh, the Atlantic division there. That's talking hockey. And then uh, we've got some tennis talk to wrap up the pot. So lots to get into. So I will do so at the top here. As usual, we start with football fan cave. Super wild card weekend. Six games to talk about. Uh, I believe it's two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and one on Monday for the first time ever. We have a playoff game on a Monday, which is going to be interesting. Just I feel bad almost for the winner of that game has to play on short rest the following weekend. Uh, but I guess it's the same if you have a Sunday wildcard game and a Saturday divisional game. Um, but but lots of matchups to talk about here. So let's let's uh, take a quick step to the side and talk about Black Monday, and then we'll jump into the game. So Black Monday, uh, I obviously mentioned Vic Fangio fired by the Broncos on the previous podcast. Uh, had some thoughts on that. I just, there's lots of great candidates out there. Uh, Eric Bienemy was the guy I was thinking about in Kansas City as a potential candidate there for the Denver job, but he'll have lots of offers from other places because Matt Nagy, uh, Mike Zimmer, Brian Flores, and Joe Judge all fired by their respective franchises, the Bears, the Vikings, the Dolphins, and the Giants. So uh, quite a few openings across the NFL. And then just today, not part of Black Monday, but David Cully of the Houston Texans, who took in as an interim coach. Uh, he got fired as well by Houston. So lots of job openings for the coaches. Uh, and it usually we see that heads roll uh, that, that first Monday after the season has ended. And this year was no different. I would say out of the six coaches we've seen fired in the last week, um, I would probably say that the Miami job and the Denver job are probably the most appealing in terms of roster talent across the board. Minnesota as well has, has two, has a couple studs on offense there. Um, but the one thing that Chicago has that these other destinations don't have is there is a potential there for a franchise quarterback in Justin Fields that you can build around. And, and sometimes that is the most important thing is to have that franchise QB. So for those potential coaches and GMs in some cases uh, looking for, for those opportunities, uh, will be interesting to see where people end up and, and we'll have that covered for you when it happens. All right, let's talk the game, shall we? First game here I want to touch on. We're just going to go in the way that I put in my notes. This is not the order of the games this weekend. Kansas City and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I would say the Steelers are probably the Largest underdog, in my opinion, going into the weekend. They squeaked into the playoffs um, with with a nine, eight or not eight eight and one record, I believe it ended up being. Uh, so just or or nine seven and one just snuck in there. Probably didn't deserve to get in, but somehow they found their way in there. Big Ben gets another game. Uh, I don't know if he's happy or sad about that, but. They are going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. And Patrick Mahomes still, in, in most eyes, is regarded as the best quarterback in the league right now and the best player in the NFL. So 
that's obviously the big piece that everyone's going to focus on. But the way that the Chiefs have won a lot of games this latter half of the season has been the strength of their defense. And this Pittsburgh Steelers offense cannot move the ball. Big Ben's average depth of target is like four yards. He just cannot throw the ball down the field anymore. And Kansas City's defense is going to play up nice and tight. They're going to play aggressive. They're going to get to Big Ben. He's not as mobile as he used to be. And I think it's just going to be a nightmare for the Steelers on offense. The only way that they hold on to this game is if their defense has an all-time performance. And there's definitely the possibility. TJ Watt, right? Front runner for defensive player of the year, tied the all-time sack record. He's going to have to have a big game in order to, to keep things close. Uh, so if you are thinking the Steelers are going to win, I would bet on the under um, in this game. And and other than that, I don't, I don't see much of an angle on this game. But definitely picking Kansas City. All right, next game, round three of the division between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Each team has one in the other's house. So maybe not the best trend for the Bills as they look to host the Patriots in this wildcard matchup. Um, you know the Patriots take away what teams do best. So Bill Belichick will be doubling Stefan Diggs uh, the entire game, looking to take away that weapon from Josh Allen. But something that Bill has always struggled defending against is a mobile quarterback. And that's where Josh Allen really shines the brightest. And the reason why the Bills won that game four weeks ago against New England was he took over and ran the ball, was unstoppable, pulled a couple of magical throws out of nowhere and was just simply special. And he is going to show up in this game. I believe he will. He's got enough besides digs to make that team dangerous. But the Patriots are going to play probably a softer shell, and, and Allen is going to have to run a bunch. So that's if you think the Bills are going to win this game, then I would bet Josh Allen's over in rushing yards. And if you believe in the Patriots, then you probably hit the under on Josh Allen's rushing yards. That feels like a big indicator of how this game is going to end. Um, on the Patriots' side, Mac Jones has really faded down the stretch and they haven't trusted him with a lot of the offense in, in the last couple of weeks. And he did not look good the last time out against Buffalo. Um, the Patriots, if you're thinking they're going to win, probably betting the over on their rushing total because they're going to pound the ball with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson and Brandon Bolden. They kind of have a three headed monster there in the backfield. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. But if the Patriots want to go deep in the playoffs, they need Mac Jones to step up. And just he's not used to playing in weather like this. It is going to be cold in Buffalo. All right, moving on here. Cincinnati and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, the Raiders, another team that people have circled as an underdog, just unlikely that they were going to beat the Chargers and get in, but they did it. And this actually ends up being a decent matchup for them in the first round against the Bengals. Uh, they're a team that can uh, really play a high top of their defense and kind of contain some, some of the deep athletic threats that the Bengals have in their wide receiver core, including Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and, and T. Higgins. But the place where Vegas really has the advantage is their pass rush. Uh, the Bengals have one, one of the worst offensive lines in the league and the Raiders are be able to create pressure with just four rushers. 
And I think that is the key to success. So I would take the oversat total for the Raiders if you have them winning this game. That's generally a recipe for success in a lot of games, but but for sure this one is, is going to be indicative of the outcome. And then on the other side, Cincinnati has an offense that has to scare you as any team going up against them because they can score 14 points in three minutes and get right back in a game and swing the tide. Um, they're going to spread it out and, and they do have a really talented running back as well in case the Raiders do play light. So I would lean Cincinnati in this one, but, uh, it's, it's, this one's more of a toss up. I I'd say than the Kansas city Pittsburgh game. All right, we'll go NFC here. Uh, the Buccaneers, heavy favorites against the Philadelphia Eagles for obvious reasons. Um, Jalen Hurts, just don't trust him to produce in, in a playoff game like this. Uh, if the Eagles win, it is going to be on the back of their run game. But this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, if it can get healthy enough, has one of the best run-stopping defenses in the NFL. Vita Vea getting a huge contract extension uh, in, in the last two weeks there because he is one of the best at what he does at nose tackle, really stopping the run or disrupting the blocking schemes of the opposing teams. And I think the angle I would take on this game, if you're looking to bet on it, would be Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Philadelphia just not great at covering tight ends. And Tom Brady, without Godwin, without Antonio Brown, is really going to be looking for the guy he can trust, and that's Gronk. And I think Gronk's going to have a big, big day. All right, Dallas and San Francisco. Um, this one probably has the biggest upset potential in my eyes, just with the way that San Francisco somehow managed to pull out that game last week against Los Angeles when they had to. Their backs were up against the wall, and they were not scared for a second. They didn't get away from the game plan, and they just ran the ball over and over. They don't have any super awe-inspiring running backs, unless you count Debo Samuel as, as a running back, but he's probably top three most electric wide receiver in the league right now. And this San Francisco team, if they're able to run the ball effectively, then it's going to really show some of the cracks in the Dallas defense. Micah Parsons has been awesome, and their pass rushing with Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, has been excellent all season. But if they're getting the ball run at them, and it's short yardage situations, and they're unable to gain that momentum by getting to the quarterback, then the rest of this Dallas defense is going to crumble. And their secondary is not as strong as the stats may indicate uh, in this season. The wild card is, and I've mentioned it all season, is that this Dallas offense, if it can, if it can finally click, there's no team in the league that can stop them. Too many playmakers. Mentioned that many times. Uh, they could easily win the Super Bowl if they click on this offense, but it is about having Dak at 100%. We don't know if he is. And then, of course, you go down the list. Cooper, Gallup, Lamb, Cedric Wilson had a big game last week against Philadelphia. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, Dalton Schultz. Like, really, really high-level weapons that they can go to at any time. And the key, really, here is pass protection for Dallas um, against guy like Nick Bosa. Uh, obviously, on the other side, pass protection for the Niners. Uh, in Trent Williams against guys like Demarcus Lawrence and then time of possession. Dallas has a lot of weapons in the air, but they do actually rely on running the ball a ton. And so I think whoever wins the time of possession in this game is going to win the ball game. 
I guess the last thing to mention in that one is we forget Jimmy Garoppolo was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, so he has the big game experience. Could be something that comes into play. Last game here, another round three of divisional uh, matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Again, these two teams splitting the season series. Uh, this one's going to come down to Arizona. Uh, this is a tough matchup for them just in the way that the Rams are a little bit weaker at stopping the run and the Cardinals don't necessarily have a running attack to really punish that weakness. Um, it's going to come down to how effective and efficient these two offenses can be because they can be really boomer bust at times. So a Kyler Murray, really fun, really exciting. He can scramble. He can move around. He doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins, but he can create plays. And we saw the first five weeks of the season, and he was probably the best player in the NFL. If he can do that, of course, the Cardinals are going to have success, but they're going to have to beat key playmakers like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller, right? The Cardinals are going to be able or have to be able to protect Kyler and the Rams can keep him contained in the pocket. He's going to struggle. On the other side, Matt Stafford, again, has the potential to be a lights out quarterback, but he does make some key mistakes, one or two key mistakes every game. And this Arizona defense has been under the radar pretty frisky. Uh, they do have some playmakers. J.J. Watt will be in this game, even if he's not 100%. We'll see what kind of impact he has just from almost like an intelligence standpoint rather than a performance standpoint. Uh, and the name itself will get offenses to, to perk up and pay attention. So really fascinated for this one. I believe this is the Monday night game, so we will have to wait a couple of days for it. But overall, man, uh, an excellent, excellent slate of six games in NFL action. But I am going to go, I guess, Super Bowl pick now. <laughs> it's going to be fun to make. Uh, I am going to go with the Packers and I am going to go with the Packers against the Bills. And I'm making this pick mostly because it's the one I want to see happen the most because <laughs> I love both these teams. But I think the, the buy is going to be key for Green Bay. Um, tough to go into Lambeau and win. And I don't know if any of the teams in the NFC just have the, the matchup to beat them. I would say San Francisco maybe has the best chance to cause Green Bay problems as they did two years ago in the NFC championship game. But I don't know if San Francisco will make it all the way there. That buy is really key. And then on the other side, Tennessee has the buy, but I don't really buy them. <laughs> um, so Buffalo is kind of that next team. I think Kansas City, we talked about it early in the season, but it's tough, man, to go to a Super Bowl three years in a row, like just the physical toll that it takes, and they didn't end up getting the bye, which would have been huge for them. I think Buffalo's on the upswing. They've already beat Kansas City in their building, uh, and, and if they can repeat their success against the Patriots, that's going to be a huge boost in momentum for they, them to take, and Josh Allen every year has gotten better and gotten more reps in these high-leverage situations, and I think this is the year where he finally puts it together to take that next step and make it to a Super Bowl. I'm going Kansas City, Dallas. All right. There you go. That's a star-studded one for sure. Uh, looking forward to the playoffs. And that's going to do it for the Football Fan Cave. Max, Combat Corner, take it away. Thank you for that. So 
as I said to O before the podcast, not a New Year's resolution or anything, but disappointed about a lot of fights I missed out on that happened in MMA, particularly in the last four or five months. I think a lot of that coming from some need to watch the whole card. So I'm going to try and just hone in on the fights I'm really interested in and also take advantage of Fight Pass to watch the fights in the next morning because this decision to try and recommit to watching MMA basically coming from me not wanting to cancel my Fight Pass subscription. So starting off the first UFC event in 2022, headlined by Giga Chikadze versus Calvin Cater. This is the fight we'll be talking about today in Combat Corner. Two fighters who I think are one or two steps away from the very top level of the featherweight division. So first, Calvin Cater. He's had kind of two, three moments in his career where he's gotten this check in the UFC. And outside of that, he's looked amazing. First time comes after a fight of the year candidate against Shane Burgos that ends in Cater getting a spectacular knockout. Fights Moicano, big stage. Moicano dismantles him with calf kicks at a time when those weren't too relevant in the game. Shows there's a kickboxing element to his game that's been missing. He has to go back to the drawing board. Does so with some success. Takes a short notice opportunity against Sebi Magomed Sharipov. Not sure what's up too much with that guy these days. Uh, at the time, Zabit puts on a clinic in the first two rounds. Uh, Calvin's still in the fight by the third. It doesn't show a ton. Again, Zabit just on another level. Back to the drawing board again for Calvin, and this is when he really hits the stage. A phenomenal knockout of Jeremy Stevens. Uh, the straight to the elbow after a fight where he managed distance so well at a time when Jeremy Stevens had more wins than losses in his UFC career. Cater put him on the losing streak that reversed that trend with that really amazing, just vicious, instinctual knockout. Even more impressive, I think, his next fight against Dan Ige where he weathers a bit of explosiveness from Dan, establishes his range with the jab, the straight, and gets such a good read on the distance Dan needs, keeps him at bay with the jab, and by the third round has him completely eating out of his own hand. Puts on a technical masterclass to get an easy decision, earning him a fight against Max Holloway, which results as one of the worst one-sided beatdowns we've ever seen in the UFC. Holloway putting on a boxing clinic against Cater for five brutal, merciless rounds, a fight that really probably should have been stopped. Cater showing off tremendous durability and heart beyond praise. And I literally mean it was past the point of praise and just stupid. So Calvin Cater, a guy, the skills, the reflexes, not quite at that top level, but the boxing fundamentals are really solid. The durability has been a constant throughout his career. We saw Holloway just bloody his hands against Cater's face with awful results for Cater. This year off, definitely prudent. The question is, was it 
the right amount of prudent? Is that durability that was so on display still going to be something he has in his pocket going forward? Or is it a use it and lose it thing and he's no longer a card-carrying member of the Iron Shin Club? Because against Giga Chikadze, he might need that. Uh, Giga on a three-fight finish streak, a seven-fight UFC win streak, entering the UFC early looked kind of awkward, a bit clunky, a really successful kickboxer trying to take advantage of what a career in that can do for you in a way that a lot of MMA fighters don't have, as shown by people like Israel Adesanya, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and Holly Holm, who have just at times made fighters look like they're not fighters with that kickboxing experience. And so rough start for Giga at first, uh, gets off much better after a head kick knockout, which he follows up with a body shot knockout in the first minute against Cub Swanson, earning him a main event against Edson Barboza, where he really put on display his best MMA performance to date, knocking out Edson, a longtime perennial contender, fantastic fighter uh, in the third round. And it was Nedson who looked tired, who no longer was the most explosive dynamic athlete in the octagon, a step behind in speed, probably also in power, which was a different Edson Barboza. Nonetheless, it was really impressive by Giga having that kind of speed and explosiveness. By the end of the first round, he realized that when he threw as heavy and hard, once he had the distance and range figured out, he could just do so without being punished back because it was too much for Edson to handle. That pace got him in trouble somewhere in the second round when Edson was able to mount a bit of a comeback, land some nice leg kicks, and Giga just couldn't continuously use that nonstop switch kick, uh, or excuse me, switch, switch stance southpaw body kick head kick um, straight that he threw so aggressively to earn him like minutes of Edson not being able to fire back at times. Though it's clear Giga can't do that for 25 minutes. So what I've tried to set up here is in Calvin Cater, you have a guy who's had a horrendous beat down, has holes in his game defensively, but can still manage distance really well with the jab at his best, will simply not back down, always keep coming forward against a guy who can land an absurd amount of damage, um, incredibly unique athleticism and explosiveness, who needs that to get the win because I don't think he can last five rounds. So can uh, Giga do what Max Holloway couldn't, what Shane Burgos tried to do and couldn't, Hanada Moikano put a beating on Cater's legs, but he wouldn't give up. Could because I think doing that is the only way Giga can get the win, uh, stopping it, unless he puts on such a beating in the first three rounds with a 10-8 in there that the rest of the fight doesn't matter and Cater's too hurt to really damage him. Uh, that's the fight for me. I can really see it going either ways where Giga just explodes in a way that none of Cater's previous opponents have been able to, and it's too much for Cater, or he's able to weather the explosion, the chin's still there, takes some damage, keeps coming back with 
that job straight uh, as Giga tires, uh, Cater's momentum just builds and he works himself to a decision, kind of like the Ige fight, though probably a bit more damage on both ends, just the way both fighters like to go. Should be a really fun main event, and I'm hoping to talk about it Sunday. But until then, that's going to wrap up this combat corner. So I'll throw it back to you for basketball. Sweet. Thank you for that. And basketball storylines. Let's throw it back to Sunday, shall we? Clay day. And we had just talked all day uh, on that Sunday about how excited we were for Clay Thompson to be back. Of course, we record usually before the night games on the Sunday. So unable to kind of have that live reaction to the moment. But really, really cool getting introduced last uh, as part of the starting lineup um, against the Cleveland Cavaliers and getting that theatrical welcome. Like he really soaked it all in. Pretty cool. After 941 days, Clay Thompson was back and <laughs> he, he came back and he put up shots, 18 shots in 20 minutes. Um, not a terrible night shooting wise. And I don't think anyone expected him to come in and instantly light up the league. But the highlight of the night was the slow crossover of Jared Allen and the C parts and he dunks on two Cavaliers defenders, um, a really athletic play. You don't see a lot of clay dunking even before the injury, but a really, really awesome moment for him to do it in his first game back. And that probably feels good for him to get out of the way as well. Like kind of that first in-game moment where you take off, you land on both legs and you're still good. Like that's probably a big mental hurdle that he was able to get through in that game. And we've seen flashes in this second game against the uh, the Grizzlies. There are a couple plays where they've been running some, some corner threes for him, and he's still got that shot. He'll be able to shoot until he's 90. Um, but the part that I've really enjoyed is you can tell he has lost 5%, 10% of his athleticism, but he's really, really worked on something that he was good at before the injury, but now especially is going to be important for him, where he can kind of – get into the body of slightly smaller defenders and then hit that like almost one-legged fadeaway or a step back fadeaway shot. And it comes out really pure from him. Um, and that's going to be an important shot because it was very apparent in the Memphis game that when Steph is not going and Draymond wasn't on the floor at this time, the Warriors revert into last year's and two years ago's Warriors. It's like, obviously all those role players have gotten better and have complimented Steph. But if you need some of those guys to truly create a shot, still not at the level they would need to win a championship. And Clay is a guy who's been there and done it and can come in and take a load off of some of those guys. Uh, and it's been cool to see that. But he came back. It was awesome. And then we saw him again against the Grizzlies uh, on Tuesday night. And that was a fun game, Max. I don't know if you caught any of that. But I was going back and forth between toronto phoenix and golden state memphis and just kind of like mouth agape going back and forth just going like just such a pure basketball nirvana night for me it was amazing okay. all i heard about from the uh memphis warriors game was job ja mean mugging like a little kid for wearing a warriors jersey <laughs> did you see that quote after the game something about like i can't 
speak the slang, but something about <laughs> like that's disrespectful. I'll buy him a Grizzlies jersey and shit. Yeah, and get me the he, kids said, address. he said. He said, dude, like it's in Memphis, right? So yeah. the the kids are wearing Golden State jerseys in Memphis. Yeah. He's going, how can you do that to me? Like, of course I gotta stare you down. And if you want to take up that jersey and dab me up, we cool, man. Like that's yeah, I I back it. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. care who you want. Michael Jordan, f them kids. <laughs> no, I, I love that energy. Yeah, yeah, and and Memphis, that's been the energy of this team the whole year, man. They are young and they do not stop talking the entire game. Like Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Ja, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark. These guys talk endlessly. They do not care who they're going up against. They believe that they belong in the same atmosphere as Golden State, and they showed it in that home game in Memphis. Golden State came out, they were down, and had the beginning of one of those signature Golden State third quarters that was the signature of 2015 through 2018, where they would just come out at halftime and obliterate teams to have like an average net margin of 15 points, like just kill teams. And they were on the verge of building something and Memphis stopped the run and came back and they went back to back possessions where there was a lob up to Zaire Williams and then uh, a turnover lob up to Jaron Jackson Jr. That completely uh, set the Grizzlies building on fire and completely changed the momentum of that game. Uh, Zaire Williams, actually, one of the guys who caught the lobs, I thought he had a great game. And for a rookie, he was what they needed as that slightly longer wing with some athleticism. And with his experience playing on the same team as Bronny James and and some of those guys in Sierra Canyon, but being the slightly older player, he's played in nationally televised games since he was in the 10th grade. So he's no stranger to, to some of the atmosphere that was created at that game and I thought he had a, had a solid performance and then John ja Morant he deferred to Desmond Bain even to Tyus Jones um, kind of four through two minutes left in the game let those guys run the offense was catching it off ball or even Tyus Jones had a big three late in the game he can do that he can play on the ball or off the ball a lot of these guys can that's why their backcourt is so versatile I mentioned Bain Jones and then D'Anthony Melton as well as a guy who can operate at the one or the two for them. And then that allows him to conserve the ball. So it's not like a LeBron where he has to hold it constantly. And at his size, you don't want him on the ball every possession because it's going to take a it's going to take a physical toll. So he can play off the ball and then late in the game, he takes over, uh, hits a floater, and then the and one layup where he proceeds to meet and mug on the kids. Uh, but that was the dagger. And uh, yeah, I just love how these guys talk like Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark basically got like a dual block on a Steph Curry attempted layup and they both stared him down and we're talking at him. And it's like, this is like MVP of the league and they just don't care. And I'm here for it. Really, really fun Memphis team. Yeah. This far into the season, we have to take them for real at this point. And it's uh, with some of the injuries like the LA Clippers going completely down uh, Portland, not playing as they were like that era is kind of passing really fun to see some new players grabbing the torch. Phoenix kind of started that March in the West last year. Um, We're in the midst of a fun shakeup, I think. Yeah. I would say John Morant definitely has my vote now for a starter in the all-star game the okay. way he's come on recently and the numbers back it up. He's probably, he has been a top 
five guard in the NBA. Yeah. And, and in terms of all-star, he's going to have the highlights that possibly get him into that starting lineup. I think it's really just the injured time away that like damages the case. And it's just a question of if <laughs> people will go around that. The, the thing is, is like he's, the, guy, the guys he's going up against in that voting have a similar type deal. So okay. they're kind of on level playing field. The other game that I was switching back and forth, uh, first, my obligatory vote Fred Van Vliet for the All-Star game mention, and then uh, also Pascal Siakam, man. He was the guy that I wanted to highlight in this segment because Freddie's been getting all the love, but flying under the radar is Pascal, um, like averaging crazy, crazy numbers that he was getting two years ago. He's had five or more assists in his last eight games. That's been a really big improvement for him as of late, the playmaking. He's dishing it out to guys. Um, and obviously, he's dishing it out to guys who are making their shots. So he's actually finding open shooters, right? I feel like a lot of the time that's Fred, and Fred hasn't missed as of late. But it, it, it's not just that you are sharing the ball. It's that you're creating a situation where the defense has to compromise itself and your assist numbers are going to go up in part because you're compromising the defense and finding guys open looks rather than just, oh, I've passed it to you and maybe you made it, but I'm actually giving you a quality shot opportunity. And that has also led to the increase in assists for Pascal. I really loved what I've seen from him um, these last eight to 10 games or so. As for the game, um, a statement loss, <laughs> if there ever was one, um, no Scotty Barnes, no Gary Trent Jr. And then on the other side, no Cam Johnson for the Phoenix Suns. The tied for first in the league Phoenix Suns going into the game. Um, it was a fantastic effort. DeAndre Aiden, the largest dude by about 50 pounds and three inches over everyone else on the court, was a pretty hit and miss factor for the majority of this game. And he had a big moment late, but uh, it was a great team effort on both ends. And the Raptors had 22 offensive rebounds in this game. Like it felt like every time they shot, they were getting a second chance. Chris Boucher had 10 by himself offensive rebounds as like the skinniest dude out there. He was working his butt off. It was really, really impressive. But the thing that cost them was a free throw line. They would get an offensive rebound. They would get fouled and they couldn't convert. They were nine of 18 from the free throw line until late in the game when they kind of had a free throw off uh, with the Phoenix Suns, but that really hurt them. And it, it came down to the end where they just could not generate offense. Everyone was saying, Oh, Raptors shutting down Phoenix and Oh, Raptors like don't have the guys to get done, but you got to give a ton of credit to this Phoenix defense, man. There's a reason they're the best team in the league right now is because them and golden state, we focus too much on the offense sometimes, but they're two of the best defensive teams in the league. And they were able to really take away the comfort, the comfortability that the Raptors had built up over their six game winning streak and force them into late shot clock scenarios. And they weren't able to convert. Um, it was, yeah, great defensive game on both sides and an, and an incredible possession by the Raptors ends with tough shots by, by Devin Booker making one on an out-of-bounds play after DeAndre Aiden just got his big body in there and was able to force a, a kind of volleyball rebound that ended up being Sun's ball. And then out of that, they get a Booker uh, inbounds play too. Uh, and 
they get a stop and then back the other way, Chris Paul doing his way he's done for 17 years, that kind of elbow fadeaway shot makes it um, that really ices the game. And, and even after a great effort and great defensive performance, that one hurts a little bit because it would have been great to have another win to add to the column there. Uh, and now they've slid out of that seven spot as Charlotte has passed them. Um, the meme moment of the game the Toronto Raptor dis- to distracting Devin Booker on his free throws. Max, have you seen this clip? Oh my gosh. So there's no one in the building, but Devin Booker's shooting his free throws to kind of close out the game. And the Raptors jump in the background and Booker goes, he points at him. He's like, get this dude out of here. And the refs ask the Raptor to go like, basically put him in a timeout in the corner because he was trying to distract him. And Booker said after the game, uh, someone asked him, you were getting distracted by the, the blow up doll. He was like, no, that was the other one. I was just getting distracted by the live Raptor <laughs> and his teammates were laughing at him. He said, but we figured it out. We're cool now. And uh, the next day on Twitter, Devin Booker's profile picture now is a shot of, of the Toronto Raptor. <laughs> so it's just pretty funny moment there. Uh, I'll have to send you the photo that I got. It's the recreation of the two girls screaming at the cat at the dinner table. And it's Devin Booker superimposed over one of them. And it's the Toronto Raptor superimposed over the cat. (laughs) I was crying laughing at that one. It was great content. Gotta love Twitter, man. Um, So yeah, fun moment coming out of that game. And looking forward to really getting uh, attacked by Cade truthers when the Raptors take on the Pistons tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Might have to tune into that one. Yeah. Not looking forward to that if Kate has a big game because he has been excellent as of late. And I still believe in him. I told, uh, like, when we did the draft preview, I said he was going to be a number one pick. I just think long-term, Evan Mobley has more franchise-changing potential. And that's Bless what you. I <laughs> and that's what I mentioned. And I think Cade, I projected him more of what he may end up being, but he's still going to be a great player in this league. And it's already taking effect. Some of the stuff that he's been doing. Less to say now, less you have to apologize for later, bud. <sighs> I'm not going to apologize. I, it, I'll be proven right in the end. <laughs> Cause we know in sports, you're never wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you just argue it till the other person gives up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last bit of NBA news here. Cam Reddish getting traded, um, not for Ben Simmons, but going to the New York Knicks for Kevin Knox and a first-round pick. And if that is the market for Cam Reddish, then I wonder if the Raptors are going to get anything but a bag of chips for Goran Dragic. Um, Kind of surprising that that was the package that went the other way for a guy who has a ton of upside as a 3 and D-plus type player, um, a Bridges-type guy, either of the Bridges um, I think he has a ton of potential upside and just hasn't gotten the opportunity in a pretty crowded Atlanta team with lots of players getting playtime. Uh, so he's going to go join his Duke buddy, RJ Barrett in New York. And now everyone is theorizing that they're going to try and get the trio back together when Zion's rookie deal is up, <laughs> making that move to, to bring Duke to the garden. And, and boy, those guys were fun in college. It would be pretty cool to have them together on an NBA court. Uh, so yeah, kind of under the radar trade that I think is a bigger deal than how it was reported on. Uh, but we'll see if that is the domino that needs to fall to 
to start activating some other moves here as we get a little bit closer to the all-star break and, and then the trade deadline. Remember at the start of the season, I called Randall totally regressing on that player of the year performance. Yep. Just reminding you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we, we knew Julius Randall was a Pascal Siakam type from the playoffs and uh, yeah, yeah, that's really showing through. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, arc has been on point so far. The symmetry, though, uh, Knicks fans might have something to look forward to if that symmetry continues. Yeah. He's definitely better than how he's played this season, but I don't think he, like, overall is as good as he was last year. All right. Um, that's going to do it for basketball. Max got a little bit of tennis to, to finish things up. Yeah, the Australian Open draw came out. I had a quick peek. They really have to make it better to look at it's you can see the first round matchups but it would be really nice to be able to zoom out and still see what players are in what seed and uh have a broader view because you can only see the first through third rounds so you don't have a good sense from the seeding who would play each other in the fifth sixth rounds unless you want to do way more math this is the australian open site I was looking at there probably does exist what I'm describing somewhere. I just didn't put in the effort to find it. And I think the official site should be a lot more navigatable. Having said that, some takeaways I was able to make looking at the ATP men's draw. First off, our Canadians, Felix Ojealiasim and Denis Shapovalov, coming fresh off leading Canada to its first ever ATP Cup in the third iteration of the event. Uh, if they beat the guys they're supposed to beat, they should cruise through the third round and on to the fourth. Each of them pretty easily. Shapo will have to get through Opelka a big American with a big serve in the third round. Uh, I've seen him tr struggle with Isner before, so a little worry about that. I think he can do it, though. The fourth round, a lot more worrying for each player. Felix would have to play Andre Rublev, one of the Russian breakout players of the year, and who's kind of one step away from that top, top level at, of the tournament, or excuse me, of the tour right now. Uh, Chapeau, though, in the fourth round would have to play someone who's reached that level, Alex Zverev, assuming all goes well for the German. Uh, so a tough fourth round ahead for each of them. I, I mean, it's going to be tough to watch any of these matches unless they happen right at 9 a.m. or right at 6 a.m., excuse me, 9 p.m. Um, but that's the read on our Canadian boys. Some other interesting notes on this tournament, Rafael Nadal back in the Grand Slam, seated sixth, which was a pretty odd sight for me. He's been top three, maybe fourth for as long as I can remember. Uh, so the seating at sixth, he, he has some potential to do some damage there. It'll be interesting if he keeps winning to hear when his name starts getting thrown around with the contenders. Hasn't been that way really since the French lost to Djokovic in that. I don't think I talked about that specific match enough in our recap of 2021. I was revisiting how special it was the other day. 
uh, Djokovic himself, <laughs> a man of much news the past week, currently sitting in the number one seed of the draw. He would be scheduled to face the potential Zverev Shapo winner in the quarters if he's allowed to play, which is still very much in limbo. When that's finalized, I might say some things about it, but until then, we'll keep it in brackets. The biggest contender, number one favorite to win the tournament, should be Daniel Medvedev right now, coming off his U.S. Open hardcourt win in the finals over Djokovic, where he simply outclassed Novak. He had an absurdly good tournament, Medvedev and hasn't played a lot of singles tennis since, lost in the doubles match against Chapeau and Felix, but won the singles against Auger. So Medvedev, I'd say the number one contender right now. Other names to keep an eye on, Stefano Tsitsipas. uh, He had that great run where he had the, I think, five-setter against Nadal in the quarters last tournament last Australian Open I believe that he pulled out and then the run to the finals in the French Uh, his grand slam luck miserable after that game bounced in the first round of Wimbledon and maybe the second or third U.S. Open best or he was injured I can't quite remember but one of the best players in the world right now when he's on form he's had the time to get healthy played a bit of warm-up, so definitely eyes on him. Aslam Karatsev, one of the breakout players, this tournament was where he did it last year, um, besting Felix to reach the quarters. Huge dark horse upset that was. He had a pretty solid year after that, so eyes on him. And, oh, have you heard the name Carlos Alcaraz yet? I have not. So he's 18, from Spain, went to the quarterfinals in the U.S. Open this past tournament. He was kind of being talked about with Layla, and he has, like, the rookie of the tournament. Mm. Made it a bit less far than her. And then uh, as the Nido ATP finals went on, uh, Carlos able to win the young generation's next up-and-coming player. So he's ranked seated 33rd right now. Face Matteo, Ber- Matteo Berrettini in the third round if both players play as they should. That should be the best match of the third round and the best match of the tournament up to there. Uh, really excited for that one as an early fun match. The other early fun one I forgot to mention is Nick Kyrgios, the way the seeding went, will play Daniel Medvedev if they both win their first matchups. I always love to see Nick play. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, that's the ATP AUS, or excuse me, ATP Australian Open quick draw run through. Uh, Looking forward to this tournament, though I know I won't get to watch much of it with the time difference. When does it get underway? Starts Monday? Yeah, it's usually a Monday. Okay. Like they're two weeks, so... uh, Tennis is back, baby, if that's what you're here for. And it would be a little strange if you were. But, hey, if that's what you're here for, get ready for it. Tennis all year long. Thanks for hanging in there these past 
five months without it <laughs> and we, we and we and we shove it near the end of the pod too so that's that's tough if you had to hang in here but some of you it's do appreciated yeah we really do appreciate it and thank you for hanging with us through the end of this podcast um we'll talk to you guys again on sunday with with some updates from the sports around the world this weekend uh and yeah max good to see you my friend you as well though making dinner with just enough time to finish cooking before the pod was a horrible horrible mistake it's been driving me crazy this past hour and i'm really excited to get to it so sports next door signing out
Uzuelo, though making dinner with just enough time to finish cooking before the pod was a horrible, horrible mistake. It's been driving me crazy this past hour, and I'm really excited to get to it. So, Sports Next Door, signing out.